0: This is an apostrophe podcast production.
2: is We Regret to Inform You, The Rejection Podcast. There were some nights where I was like, this comedy stuff just isn't working out. And not just when I was 25, when I was 45. Leslie Jones. When Leslie Jones was in high school, Her family picked up and moved across the country. Her father worked as a studio technician at WDIA Memphis, also known as America's first all-black radio station. Then, in 1979, Stevie Wonder bought an R&B radio station in Compton, California, called KJLH. And the legend himself called up Mr. Jones and offered him a job. So the family packed their bags and relocated 1,800 miles due west. Leslie was enrolled at a school in L.A., but when she showed up on her first day, she was met with stares. Not just for being the new girl, but for being six feet tall. It was impossible to blend in. Joan says people would call her names, single her out. Her father suggested she use her height to her advantage and try out for the basketball team. Jones says she wasn't particularly interested in basketball, but if she joined, she'd get free sneakers and was allowed to miss class for games. By the time she turned 18, Jones had earned herself a basketball scholarship to Colorado State University. She spent most of her first semester on the bench. But a starter from that year's roster has one clear memory of Jones. She was hysterically funny. Whenever Jones was around, the whole team was laughing. Jones wasn't really sure what she wanted to do with her life. If she pursued basketball, she could play overseas. Sure, she wasn't passionate about the sport but at least it was a discernible path. On the other hand, she could go into electronic engineering like her dad, or maybe she should become a lawyer. While Jones was hemming and hawing over her options, a friend decided to take matters into her own hands. She signed Jones up for a comedy contest called Funniest Person on Campus. But here's the kicker. She didn't tell Jones until just two days before the event jones said are you crazy sure she liked telling jokes but she never thought of herself as a comedian that didn't matter her friends insisted they said i think you can do it just go up there and talk like you talk to us so jones channeled her idols lucille ball carol burnett richard pryor and red fox and she wrote a little set The next day, with all her friends in the audience, she stepped on stage. The second the spotlight hit her face, Jones says she stopped questioning what she would do with her life. She knew. The mic felt like an extension of herself. The stage felt like home. And then, the sweetest sound she'd ever heard. Laughter. Jones won that night. Funniest person on campus. Within one week, she'd quit the basketball team, dropped out of Colorado State, moved back home to Los Angeles, and started calling up comedy clubs. The year was 1987. Exactly one month had passed since 19-year-old Jones was declared funniest person on campus, and she landed herself on the bill at the legendary Comedy Store in West Hollywood a storied stand-up club on Sunset Boulevard where David Letterman and Robin Williams once got their starts. Joan's name was called, and she stepped on stage, delivering an updated version of her Campus Conquest. But that sweet sound of laughter never came. No, instead she heard the dreaded sound, the rite of passage every comedian fears. Booing. Jones bombed. She ran off stage, burst out the club's front door, and threw up all over the sidewalk. Once the sting of humiliation wore off, just enough, Jones was keen to get back onto the horse. She got herself a spot at another club as an opener for the main act. She wrote a bit about church, and another about family. But the DJ scratched a song throughout her entire set. She couldn't get a rhythm going. She said it was terrible. And she was booed off the stage a second time. Afterward, Jones took a seat in the audience to watch the headliner, a stand-up named Eric Marlon Bishop. She said watching him perform was like a religious experience. She'd never seen a real comedian before, not in person. He had the audience in the palm of his hand. After his set, Bishop offered to take Jones to the local burger joint for some french fries and friendly advice. He said, You could be good, but you have nothing to talk about yet. Go get your heart broken. Go break some hearts. Go get some bad jobs. Get fired. Go live life for a while. Then try again. Jones vowed right then and there to not step on stage again until she had something to say. Then she thanked the kind stranger for his advice. Two years later, Eric Marlon Bishop would change his name to Jamie Foxx. Over the next decade, Jamie Foxx's career would take off, from stand-up to television star, and it wouldn't be long before Hollywood came knocking. Leslie Jones, on the other hand, had walked away from performing altogether. For six years, she didn't do a single set. Instead, she worked odd jobs. A cook, a cashier, a perfume spritzer at the mall, a justice of the peace, a receptionist, an interpreter, despite only speaking one language, a wedding officiant, and a waitress. She says she was the funniest server Roscoe's House of Chicken and Waffles ever had. She got her heart broken. Then, come the mid-90s, she felt the tug of the spotlight once again. A quick inventory of her life told her she'd, to quote Jamie Foxx, lived a little, and maybe amassed enough stories, enough material for a solid set. She got herself on the bill at a few black comedy clubs and told jokes about the plight of women, of black women, and the horrors of dating. And those jokes started to land... She wasn't earning any money but she was earning respect on stage there was something unique about jones without saying a word she was funny her piercing eyes pauses and toothy smile did a lot of the heavy lifting eventually the laughs in those clubs landed jones a spot on bet's comic view a bi-weekly stand-up comedy show aimed at showcasing up-and-coming comedians it paid $150 per appearance, better than the nothing she'd been getting at clubs. Joan says after recording Comic View, she'd head back to her minimum wage gig at Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles, and customers would look at her funny. They'd say, didn't I just see you on BET? She'd say, yup. So, breast in a wing or leg and a thigh? By 1998, Jones says she'd found her comedic voice. She made up her mind that comedy was her path. If she was going to be mediocre, there'd be no reason to continue. She was fully committed. In her mind, she was the next Eddie Murphy. She says in black clubs, she could relate to the audience. When she told jokes about the black experience, it not only landed, it massacred but she still didn't quite fit in. Stand-up was, and is, very male-dominated. An article in New Yorker magazine says male comics often refer to their bodies or their looks in self-deprecating ways, or their appearance doesn't seem to be relevant at all. Women, on the other hand, don't have such luxury, often needing to fit the Hollywood mold in order to be palatable, even in a comedy setting. So Joan started owning her height, even wearing six-inch heels and adding volume to her hair, making her an almost seven-foot presence on stage. She says it neutralized the audience's bullets. Like all comedians, she learned how to use her quirks. They made her memorable. And if the right people remember you in the comedy business, it can be your meal ticket. Jones applied for a day job at Blockbuster, but she was rejected for the position. The manager told her he'd seen her perform at local clubs and she was hilarious, so he didn't trust she wouldn't make it big and quit on him. She was confused. She said, you can't not hire me because I might one day make it. I haven't yet. UPS wasn't as concerned. She got herself a day job scanning packages and spent her nights wondering if club promoters would throw her a few dollars after a set. Jones performed at comedy festivals like Comedy Central's laugh palooza Just for Laughs in Montreal, the Urban Comedy Arts Festival, the Aspen Rooftop Festival, and the Bacardi by Night Tour. The latter, she won first place. Her regular spot on BET's Comic View led to an appearance on HBO's popular stand-up series, Deaf Comedy Jam. She appeared on Showtime at the Apollo, a variety show hosted by Steve Harvey filmed at the legendary Apollo Theater in Harlem. She landed a small film role as a sergeant in Leslie Nielsen's comedy, Wrongfully Accused. She made her television debut in a TV movie called Mermaid. She appeared on a comedy panel on Chelsea Lately. Two years later, Jones landed a Canadian TV movie called The New Beachcombers. The next year after that, a few scenes in the Martin Lawrence and Steve Zahn comedy, National Security, all the while performing most nights in clubs. But by the year 2010, Jones turned 43 years old. While the minor parts on her CV helped pay her rent, they weren't getting her noticed by the gatekeepers of mainstream comedy. Black comedy clubs and shows were where she felt most accepted, where she got the laughs, where she drew the audiences. But she says sadly, those audiences didn't contain the Hollywood decision-makers. The bookers for The Tonight Show or the casting directors for big-budget films weren't sitting front row. Jones could sense she was being pigeonholed as a BET comic. She needed to get into the prestigious venues, and not just on their black comedy nights, in their prime-time spots. So, like she vowed to Jamie Foxx 23 years earlier to only perform when she had something to say, she vowed again, this time to stop performing black-only venues or black-only nights and crack the mainstream and the best place to start was the iconic comedy store where she'd been booed off stage twice before hold that thought we'll be right back
1: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
2: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees.
1: Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully. With expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news...
2: Jones was granted spots at the comedy store right off the bat. But at odd hours. Tuesday at 12.06 a.m., Sunday at 1.57 a.m. It wasn't good enough, so she confronted the venue's booker. She told him she wanted 10 p.m. Friday night, regardless of her race. Jones was granted the primetime spot. That Friday, Jones, quote, destroyed. She had the whole room in stitches. And it wasn't long before she was tapped by stand-up comedian and actor Cat Williams to open for him on his latest tour. Jones said she had $15 in her bank account at the time. It was a no-brainer. They did 107 sold-out cities. It was the ultimate learning experience. Then, that same year, Jones recorded a stand-up special of her own, called Problem Child. It was her first ever comedy video. She talked all things dating, basketball, and Oprah Winfrey. It appeared on Showtime, earning decent reviews. Soon, she even made an appearance on Dave Chappelle's latest tour. One night in 2012, after her set at the Comedy Store, Chris Rock approached Jones. He told her he'd kept an eye on her over the years, but now she was on a whole other level. He said, You're ready. She said, You're right. But I'm not going to make it unless someone like you gets me in front of the right people. So Rock took out his phone, pulled up his Notes app, found one titled Funny People, and wrote down the name Leslie Jones. Chris Rock had a history of sending the elevator back down when it came to fellow black comics. Back in the day, he hired Wanda Sykes on his HBO series, The Chris Rock Show, and he said people thought he was crazy at the time. Rock went through his Rolodex and called a manager he knew, one of the biggest managers in comedy, and showed them Jones' reel. But they turned him down. So he called another manager. They passed. So he called a third. Nope. So Rock called a fourth manager, told them all about Jones' talents, talents he personally would vouch for, but they weren't interested. Jones says by this point, every black comedian in the country knew what she could do, but even Chris Rock couldn't take her mainstream. Despite the victories over the last 25 years, both big and small, Jones had yet to make a regular paycheck in her chosen profession. It was one thing to be a struggling comedian at 25, but Jones was 45 years old. She says there were many days she just felt like quitting. Most days, actually. Maybe this comedy thing just wasn't working out. Little did she know, across the country, over at 30 Rockefeller Plaza, there were conversations going on. As the stories told in The New Yorker, in 2013, Saturday Night Live unveiled its latest crop of cast members. Six comedic actors, all of which were white, five of which were men. Despite the fact that since Maya Rudolph left the show in 2007, there hadn't been any black female cast members. When that information came to light, veteran cast member Kenan Thompson was asked to comment in an interview. Thompson was one of the two black men on the series at the time. He reportedly said, In auditions, SNL had just never found black female comedians that were ready. A quote Thompson has since adamantly stated was taken out of context. But regardless, the quote went viral. And as you can imagine, Twitter was not happy. And neither was Leslie Jones. One night at Inside Jokes Comedy Club in LA, Jones was asked about Thompson's comment. She said, we're not ready? That's BS, I know I'm ready. That night, Jones delivered her set and after her closing joke, she added, and they say we aren't funny. She dropped the mic and walked off stage to a standing ovation. In the days and weeks following, the industry and the Twitter sphere started taking a closer look at the history of Saturday Night Live's diversity. Turns out, after four decades on the air as America's longest running sketch comedy show, the series had only had four black women as regular cast members. It wasn't looking good for SNL. And that's when they reportedly started planning secret auditions for funny black women. Historically, SNL has sourced its talent from a handful of feeder troops, including the Groundlings in Los Angeles, Second City in Chicago, and Upright Citizens Brigade in New York City, all of which were prestigious, none of which included Leslie Jones. Between those avenues, a hundred women of color were selected to audition. Of that hundred, twelve were given callbacks. A few days before said callbacks, one Lorne Michaels, the famed creator and executive producer of SNL, had dinner with Chris Rock. He told him about the search. And that's when Rock said, You should look at Leslie Jones. She's the funniest woman I know. And with that endorsement from one of the top comedians in the country, Lorne Michaels agreed to give Jones a chance. Rock called Jones to tell her the good news. He said, someone's going to call you from SNL for an audition. Jones was shocked, then suddenly panicked. She said, I'm a stand-up, not a sketch comedian. I'm not going to be able to do that. Rock told her to stop complaining, to go to the audition and just do what she did best. Then he hung up the phone. Callbacks were taking place at SNL's Studio 8H. By many a comedian, the studio, the series, and its fearless leader have all been described as intimidating. Jones wasn't the first to be called, so she sat backstage, watching comedian after comedian walk off, she says, looking shell-shocked. Yikes. Traditionally, how it works is Michaels and a group of producers sit all the way at the back of the studio. They watch, they take notes, they say thanks for coming in. Then they call on the next quaking comedian. But as Leslie Jones was summoned on stage, she didn't like that arrangement. The studio was dark. She could barely see Michaels and his team sitting in the shadows. So she took the mic off its stand and said, y'all are gonna move up to the front where I can see you. Lauren Michaels stood up and walked to the front row. Jones wasn't an impressionist or a mimic. She wasn't great at doing voices. She wasn't even a sketch comedian. But she had 25 years of comedy under her belt. So she reached for a joke she wrote the year she dropped out of college in 1987. She chose it because she said it was the closest she'd ever come to writing a perfect joke. And by this point, she'd had countless performances perfecting its delivery. It was an autobiographical bit. About a gangly teenager who longed to be a petite gymnast, complete with two cartwheels. She thanked them for their time. They thanked her for coming in. Jones walked off stage, flew back to Los Angeles, and waited. A day went by. Three days went by. A full week went by. Then Jones heard the news. She didn't get the part. It went to Sashir Zameda. Zameda was a 27-year-old improv and sketch comedian from Upright Citizens Brigade. She was good at impressions, at voices, and she looked like a model to boot. Jones says she knew Zameda was a natural fit. She checked all the boxes. But still, Jones was completely crushed by the rejection. It was over. Then the next day, the phone rang. It was Lorne Michaels. He asked Jones if she would take a job as a writer on the series instead. A writer? She said, You know I have no idea how to do that, right? She'd never even used Microsoft Word. But before she could think too hard about it, Jones was en route to Harlem. In a matter of weeks, she had a new job, a new address, and her first steady paycheck in comedy. Over her first few months as an SNL staff writer, Joan submitted many sketch ideas, mostly extensions of her stand-up, like what it would be like to be Jesus Christ's personal assistant, or the four archetypes of a typical nightclub posse. But they were all rejected. Not a single one made it to air. It was the writing equivalent of bombing, which was a feeling she wasn't used to anymore. Jones hadn't bombed in years. Then in the spring of 2014, Jones was plucked out of the writer's room and onto the stage for her first on-screen SNL debut, a segment on Weekend Update about dating, quote, in the time of slavery. It caused controversy. The editor for Ebony.com said the skit was offensive, but it did demonstrate Jones' obvious talent as a performer. Jones said she was taking cultural pain and making it funny. And if she does say so herself, she was brilliant. Suddenly, Jones was the talk of the town, quickly becoming a fixture on the weekly segment. Then she got the news. In the fall of 2014, Leslie Jones was made a regular cast member on Saturday Night Live, making her the oldest comedian SNL has ever cast, at age 47. It also marked the first time two Black women were featured cast members at the same time. Jones and Kenan Thompson had a heart-to-heart, and it wasn't long before they became best friends on set co-head writer of SNL and the first black head writer in the show's history, Michael Che, says Jones knows how to sell material more convincingly than anyone else he can think of. And when she walks on stage, you know she's the boss. Lorne Michaels later said to The New Yorker, Jones was everything they weren't looking for. She was a fully formed stand-up. The sketch and writing parts would have to come in time adding that with some people, you just go, let's get them in the building. Chris Rock said out of all the people he tried to persuade to give Jones a chance, Lorne Michaels was the only one with vision. That's why he's at the top of the industry, because Leslie Jones is about as funny as a human being can be. Jones faced a lot of hurdles in her career as a black, female, six-foot-tall stand-up comedian who didn't land her big break until midlife. She faced rejection, not only for her performances, but her appearance, her outspokenness, her gender, and her race. But she says it's no fluke she is where she is. She worked her butt off for a long, long time. It took nearly 30 years But Leslie Jones went from funniest person on campus, to funniest person at the comedy club, to funniest waitress at Roscoe's House of Chicken and Waffles, to funniest woman Chris Rock had ever seen, to one of the great cast members on Saturday Night Live, to one of the funniest comedians in Hollywood.
0: a tricky thing. It can slowly drain your dreams. You try and try and try to break through, and it doesn't seem to happen. Sometimes the rejections continue for years. Then an imaginary alarm goes off in your mind, and you feel you've crossed some kind of Rubicon in your career, a line between reasonable expectations and outright foolishness an age marker that signals it's time to stop chasing your dream. Leslie Jones was 19 when she started pursuing a career in comedy. She was 47 years old when she finally stepped on stage at Saturday Night Live, the oldest person ever cast by SNL. But even though her confidence wobbled along the way, she never stopped believing. And think about this. In the comedy world, Rejection isn't a polite thanks for coming in, we'll let you know or a rejection letter that arrives in the mail a few weeks later. Leslie Jones literally got booed off stages. The rejections were in real time. They were visceral. Nothing seemed to work. All click, no ignition. But she licked her wounds and tried again. She kept making small advances, landing more and more opportunities to get better but she still wasn't earning a steady comedy paycheck. Then came the Saturday Night Live audition, where she had to overcome two huge fears. First, she was a stand-up, not a sketch comedian, but she did it anyway. And when she was offered a writing job by Lorne Michaels, she was fearful again because she wasn't a writer. But she took the chance anyway. As Leslie Jones says, Trust... And believe. The rest is comedy history. Lorne Michaels described Leslie Jones as everything they weren't looking for. And that's the nugget. That's the moment you have to remember from the Leslie Jones story. Age doesn't matter, how long it takes doesn't matter. All that matters is persisting until you hear the word. Yes. Never. Ever. Give up.
3: Leslie Jones, SNL cast member, 2014 to 2019. Emmy nominations, SNL, 2017, 2018 and 2019. Ghostbuster, 2016. Time Most Influential People, 2017. So, breast and a wing, or leg and a thigh.
2: The Rejection Podcast is an Apostrophe Podcast production and is recorded in our Airstream mobile recording studio. This series is hosted and written by me, Sydney O'Reilly. Research, Allison Pinches. We regret to inform you, our director is Callie O'Reilly. Engineer, Jeff Devine. Producer, Debbie O'Reilly. Theme music by Ian Lefevre and Ari Posner. Major sources for this episode are listed in the show notes on our website, apostrophepodcasts.ca slash rejection. Follow us on social at apostrophepod. If you enjoyed this episode, you might also like Short Stories in Television from Season 2. Rate and review this podcast wherever you like to listen. And while you're there, let us know of any rejection stories you'd like to hear.
1: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
2: This series is executive produced by Dr. Terry O'Reilly. See you next time.